Welcome to Sane Split, a podcast about staying sane when relationships end. I am AJ Jakubowska, family law lawyer and mediator. Just like you, I'm human. I understand what can happen when people separate. Lots of questions swirling around like confetti. Lots of uncertainty, perhaps anger, disappointment, or even pain. Sleepless nights, shallow breathing. Will I ever be happy again? Will the kids be okay? How much is all this going to cost? All of these questions are human and you're not alone. This podcast features my thoughts about separation and my interviews with other humans who help people when their relationships end. People who assist with legal issues, who mediate, who look after hearts and minds, and even after the pocketbook. People who might help you plan your future. What you will hear is not legal advice. These are dialogues primarily about the human aspect of separation. We will try to stay away from legal lingo. It's humans talking to humans. I hope that something you hear will help you navigate your way to a sane split. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. The podcast is back from an extended late spring and then summer break and we are now into fall which is very apparent from the frost warnings we've already had, at least in my part of Ontario. As we begin season five of the podcast, I want to encourage you as follows. If there are any topics which are of particular interest to you, please don't hesitate to email me at aj at jackboska.ca and you will find the email address in the show notes. Send me your suggestions or questions. I very much enjoy hearing from my listeners, your input, your comments. They help me a lot because I want to address subjects that are truly of interest to you and that are relevant to you so that the podcast is current and importantly, practical. Today, I'm going to talk about parallel parenting. Many of you already have a general idea of what this term means, but for those of you who are looking for more detail on the concept and how it might work in practice, keep listening. Parallel parenting is not for everyone and in fact may not be the right model of decision making about children in many cases. But if at the end of this episode and after hearing what I have to say, you think this might be the right model for you, speak to your lawyer about it or perhaps float the idea by the other parent, assuming you are communicating effectively at all and more about that later but let's back up a few steps because I'm going to be using some new terminology here new in the sense that changes to our family law legislation in Canada and also specifically in Ontario changes that came into place in 2021 replaced some old language with some new language around children So I think this is a good opportunity for me to talk about those new terms 
For those of you who are hearing them for the first time, it's helpful to get familiar with them now because you will encounter them more and more as we go on, particularly if you are already involved in a family law case. For those of you who are hearing them for the the second or third time, I say it never hurts to have a refresher to reinforce what you might already know. That gets our brains familiar with the subject and hey, over time, the words become second nature. And importantly, getting comfortable with both the old and the new terms and the concepts in general will also help you understand the concept of parallel parenting. So what am I talking about here? When parents separate, there are two broad topics, two sets of issues they need to think about and address. Number one, who will make major decisions about the children and how? And number two, where the children will live or put another way, how much time they will spend with each parent. I am not going to assign labels to these two areas quite yet. For the moment, I wanted to use descriptive, practical language for the two areas so you know exactly what we're talking about. Now, let's talk about the term custody. And this is a term we have used for many, many years, both in Ontario and across Canada. I'm going to clarify what the word meant in the first place before it was replaced with a new term. And I'm doing this because many Ontarians misunderstood this word to begin with. Without complicating things unnecessarily, that misunderstanding may have been reinforced by how the child support guidelines use the word in phrases like shared custody, for example. But let me get back to my point because I'm veering off too far. The word custody meant decision-making. Custody is technically speaking not where children live, but rather who makes decisions about them and how. At an initial meeting with a potential client, I have often heard parents tell me they want to have sole custody of their children. And when I probe a little further, it becomes clear that they're talking about having the kids live with them most of the time. This is not a criticism, goodness, no. It's simply an observation about how this term is often misunderstood. And the media are partly to blame because social media, newspapers, and blogs often use this word without really understanding what it means, technically and from a legal perspective. So having custody means having the right to make or participate in making major decisions about a child or children. Major decisions means health, welfare, education, and religious upbringing. Not everyday decisions, like what they have to eat for dinner. So what has happened to the word custody? Well, it has now been replaced with a more descriptive phrase, and that is decision-making responsibility. I must say I like the new phrase 
because it actually describes what is involved. So to make sure that you understand this point, joint custody is now called joint decision-making responsibility, where parents make together major decisions about their children. Sole custody, where one parent makes those decisions, is now called sole decision-making responsibility. And today, we will talk about parallel parenting, which actually involves decision-making in a unique way. But we still use the word parenting here rather than decision-making, just to make things a little bit more confusing. Let's move on briefly to the next area parents will have to think about and work out when they separate. How much time the children will spend with each parent. Before the changes to the legislation, we use terms like residence, primary residence, and access. All these have been replaced with parenting time. So that's it for the new phrases. Recapping, custody is now decision-making responsibility, and residence and access are now parenting time. So on to parallel parenting. You should know that there is an ongoing debate in the family law field about this model of parenting. Not all lawyers and judges agree on whether the concept makes sense, how it is to work in practice, and what kinds of cases actually benefit from parallel parenting. Mental health care professionals also have a view on this, sometimes different views. So our debate about parallel parenting is multidisciplined and ongoing. Parallel parenting is a model in which parents divide decisions they have to make about children. And then each parent makes decisions about their specific area or areas. Here is a common and rather simplistic example. Parent one makes decisions about health, and parent two makes decisions about sports. But hang on, some of you might say, because we're moving through these concepts quickly. How is this different from joint decision-making responsibility? Let's clarify. Here is a hypothetical family. Parent one and parent two. There are four sets of major decisions to be made about their two children following the separation and moving forward. Decisions A, B, C, and D. In joint decision-making, both parents make jointly decisions about A, B, C, and D. If they can't agree, the decision is not made until they use the dispute resolution mechanism that they hopefully agreed on or was ordered to break the logjam. So here, for the decision to take effect, both parents have to agree. In other words, one parent's veto can kibosh the decision. In parallel parenting, responsibility for making decisions about A, B, C, and D is divided between the parents. If parent one is to make decisions about A and C, for example, parent two 
has no input into those decisions, and they can be made by parent one alone. In a sense, using a highway analogy, the parents are traveling, hopefully in the same direction, but in two separate lanes, each lane representing their area of decision-making. Let's delve further into the debate I mentioned earlier. What is that about? Let's begin with the idea that parallel parenting is a form of joint custody. But in a healthy joint custody situation, or as healthy as we can make it, the parents get along, or at least they get along well enough to make major decisions about their children together. There is no reason to actually divide the decisions. So why would one? Well, Parallel parenting is generally reserved for situations where the parents do not get along. And this is where part of the debate comes in. In 2004, for example, the late and great Philip Epstein and the now Justice Madsen of the Superior Court of Justice wrote an article in which they critiqued the concept of parallel parenting as essentially a way for judges to avoid making a decision about sole custody and giving that custody, that decision-making responsibility to one of the parents. I'm simplifying the critique. It's a very, very good article with lots of content, but that is essentially it. It is generally accepted and also a reflection of the practical reality of parenting, that in order for parents to make together decisions about their children, the parents have to get along to communicate effectively enough to co-parent. They don't have to be best friends. They don't even have to be friends, but they have to communicate well enough to act together in their children's best interests. In the past, judges have occasionally imposed joint custody, now joint decision-making responsibility, even on parents who do not get along, and have explained doing so on the basis of the children's best interests. There is a debate about that approach as well, and Parallel parenting was a mechanism for having such parents co-parent by essentially traveling along the same highway. Remember the analogy I used before, but in two separate lanes, in the same direction, hopefully, but separately. In their article, Epstein and Madsen describe parallel parenting as a category of joint custody for cases in which there is a high degree of conflict between parents. So not just parents who don't get along, but parents who really don't get along and experience high degree of conflict. Epstein and Madsen cite a case called Lefebvre in which Justice Laskin described the model thus, quote, The parents are given equal status, but exercise the rights and responsibilities associated with custody independently of one another, close quote. 
And why would a judge selecting parallel parenting as a model for two parents decide it's the right one, even if the parties are in high conflict? Because in that judge's view, sole custody is not in the children's best interests. And neither parent is, quote, better, close quote, for the purposes of making sole decisions. Madsen and Epstein argued in their piece that this approach is deeply flawed and that it ignores the practical reality of effective parenting. Parallel parenting agreements or orders usually come with a whole set of additional terms and rules. Why? Because the high conflict between the parties dictates that they be given as little opportunity as possible to get into conflict around parenting. So there is a bit of a chess game played here, anticipating what could go wrong, and then an effort is made to address those potential problems ahead of time through rules and terms to this arrangement, pretty strict and pretty inflexible rules. Most often, those terms mean that those parents are barely communicating, if at all. The focus is on minimizing interaction between the parents. Madsen and Epstein argued that this is simply unrealistic and impractical. They also pointed out that sometimes this model is used to rein in a parent who has the potential of alienating the children. Rather than reversing custody, again, decision-making, both parents are given equal status in the hope that this will calm down the situation and bring some relief to the high-conflict nature of the parents' relationship. In their very, very good and detailed article called Joint Custody with a Vengeance, the Emergence of Parallel Parenting Orders, this is the piece I have been discussing. Madsen and Epstein also discuss in some detail both the pros and cons of parallel parenting, but they emphasize a point on which I want to spend a little time because it's vital. Citing directly from their article, quote, the weight of the social science literature indicates that one of the single greatest determinants of childhood well-being is the extent to which children are exposed to conflict between their parents, close quote. Epstein and Madsen argued that Parallel parenting ignores this reality. I'm going to put it slightly differently and in my own way. Parallel parenting does not solve the problem of high conflict between the parents. In a sense, it masks it. High conflict parents in a parallel parenting arrangement do not start getting along because they are making decisions independently of one another. In the vast majority of cases, they simply do not communicate, and that is not actual co-parenting. Mental health care professionals in the area of family law took notice of the critique by Epstein and Madsen. 
and responded with an article of their own. Here I'm talking about a piece by Dr. Rachel Baerbaum and Dr. Barbara Jo Fiddler, published in 2005. In their piece, Dr. Baerbaum and Dr. Fiddler disagreed that parallel parenting is a manifestation of joint custody. Rather, the social science concept, according to them, was of two parents having sole custody over their own domains of decision-making. They disagreed with intertwining joint custody and parallel parenting and saw them as completely separate. And in the view of these mental health professionals, parallel parenting is a practical tool to address parents in high conflict situations and to help them tackle the practical aspects of parenting. Earlier on, I talked about decisions A, B, C, and D. And generally speaking, when we talk about parallel parenting, we are talking once again about major decisions, the incidents of custody, which are often referred to as health, welfare, education, and religious upbringing. In a classic parallel parenting model, it's those decisions that are divided between the parents. And each parent operates autonomously in their own sphere of decisions. But there is another model which is discussed briefly by Dr. Baerbaum and Dr. Fiddler. And that is a model in which major decisions are left to one parent but there are other decisions, other incidents of parenting that are given to the other parent, but don't necessarily fit into the rubric of major decisions. In other words, theoretically, at least, it is possible for the parents to parent the children separately, but equally, but not with respect to major decisions, but decisions about the kids in general. I know this is getting a little technical and I don't want to get too technical in this podcast, but I wanted to raise that option to those of you who may be interested in the model of parallel parenting at all. To tie off the debate which started with Epstein's and Madsen's article, the responding piece from the mental health professionals did not altogether disagree with some of the concerns raised by the lawyers. Epstein and Madsen were both lawyers at the time. Dr. Beerboim and Dr. Fiddler said they viewed, quote, parallel parenting in a broader context that encompasses theoretical and empirical social science literature to guide are interventions with high-conflict families, close quote. I think that the mental health care professionals were more optimistic than were the lawyers, that parallel parenting can work in practice, not just in theory. The debate continues. I haven't done an actual count, but in my view, there are fewer cases these days involving parallel parenting, fewer than there were in the early 2000s. 
Those who advocate for father's rights argue that parallel parenting rights the balance, that it addresses perceived bias in favor of mothers. But I'm not sold on this argument because in my view, joint custody, more appropriately put, joint decision-making is the way to redress any imbalance if there is one. But that is another topic altogether, this perceived imbalance, one I might take up in a further episode. In the meantime, consider all options of parenting. Reduce to a minimum conflict with the other parent, please, because your children are impacted by such conflict in a very real, very real way. Do all you can to have a sane split, most of all for the sake of your children. Thank you for listening. I hope you will tune in again. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me through my website, separationinontario.com. Subscribing to the podcast through your favorite app will make future episodes available to you automatically. Signing off for now.